from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's football Friday here on Wager Talk. I'm Teddy Covers, joined by Ralph Michaels. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. You can follow Ralph at Cal Sports LV. And you better be following Sports Grid. Get all the programming here on the Sports Grid TV network at Sports Grid. Ron, welcome to the Zumo viewers from Channel 719. Welcome to all of you listening on iHeartRadio. And welcome to everyone around the world on the Armed Force Radio Network. Teddy Covers, Ralph Michaels. Let's get right into it, Ralph. We had an NFL game that counts last night, and it was every bit as boring as the last NFL game that counted. In fact, the last two NFL regular season be- or regular bets that I've made, let's see, the Rams scored three points, and last night the Bears scored three points. Nothing to cheer about. Teddy, you said yesterday with the opening of the NFL was Christmas for you. How was your Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm clearly the Scrooge on a Friday morning. Uh, of course, from a betting standpoint, what, 3-46, and 46, two-way action on that game. I thought my handicap was correct in the one sense. I thought that Chicago's defense would be the best unit on the field, and it was. I missed with who the worst unit on the field was going to be. That was the Bears' offense. They looked inept last night, start to finish. Yeah, you know, the Packers have such a changeover, losing, uh, jettisoning some marquee players that they did, especially at linebacker. You didn't know what to expect of the Packers offense. But buyer beware, you know, was it the Packers defense that was superior or was it the Bears offense that was uh, mediocre? I think it was the Bears offense. I mean, not to take anything away from what Green Bay does, but Chicago did not execute any part of their game plan. Uh, last night, neither did Green Bay offensively. The Packers, of course, with just the one touchdown drive to show for the entire game. Uh, if you tell me before kickoff, Green Bay is going to score 10 points, I'm going to ask you, how much can I get down on Chicago? <laughs> Both teams stay under their team totals. And in terms of the props, basically all the Packers stayed under everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, maybe uh, about this uh, Scantling went over uh, on his yardage or reception number. I think he was three and a half. But bottom line is there wasn't a whole lot of offense from Green Bay. The Bears defense did their job, but... Mitch Trubisky was god-awful last night. There's no way to sugarcoat it. The Bears' offensive line couldn't block. The Bears' coaching staff made no adjustments. And Trubisky, start to finish, one bad throw after the next. Is that Chicago not playing preseason? Because Trubisky's like, oh, no, it wasn't that. Uh, His quotes after the game. Nonetheless, the Bears' offense could not get out of their own way. They weren't capable of marching down the field and tying the score. Obviously, with Trubisky throwing the all-important pick in the end zone, as the Bears were trying to rally. Yeah, throwing into triple coverage is one thing. Lobbing it up is another. Uh, You know, again, I I think it's the problem of the offensive coordinators. There was no adjustments. You know, we saw Rodgers doing seven seven step drops late in the game when he wasn't getting any time to throw the ball. So, uh, again, I don't want to make too much of neither quarterback played in the preseason because, listen, I mean, most quarterbacks don't throw. Most starting quarterbacks don't throw over 25 times anyway. So, We'll see if this is a product of not playing in the preseason or just defense is better than offenses early in the season. And that happens more often than not when when offenses aren't in sync weeks one, two and three. Yeah. And and of course, no sharp square divide uh, on last night's game. The sharp money came on Green Bay plus four over the summer. 
and that line was gone. But there was two-way action on the side, two-way action on the total uh, last night. It's not like every game there's going to be all the pros are lining up here and all the Joes are lining up there. There might be a handful of games like that over the course of the week, and the Joes win their fair percentage of those games. But last night, two-way action, both side and total, from the wise guys and from the general public, Ralph. Yeah, you, you talked about the line being a three, came up to three minus 20, came back down, went back and forth. You know, the total stayed in that 46, 47 range, went back and forth. So uh, probably a, a uh, what the sports books are meant to be. They try to get equal action on both sides, take their 10 percent and move on. I think they were probably pretty close to that last evening. Yeah, that, that was the uh, impression that I got. Was that the books did OK uh, on last night's game. I want to ask you this, Ralph, because we saw. The Bears came into the preseason and said, we're not going to do anything. We're not showing anything in preseason. We're not going to even get our starters on the field for the majority of the time uh, of these games. And they looked like a team that hadn't been on the field in the preseason. The Packers didn't go in with that game plan necessarily, but their week three regular season walkthrough, which they had prepped for, well, <laughs> that was up in Winnipeg. The players didn't like the condition of the field, and everyone ended up sitting in that ball game. They had like 30 guys sitting who were initially slated to play. Do you look at the preseason, the teams that didn't play anyone in the preseason differently today than you did yesterday because of two teams that didn't play their starters at all in August who looked pretty inept and offensively in week one? Well, let's remember that Green Bay not only had that Winnipeg game the week before. They had an hour-plus rain delay. Rodgers was supposed to start, and then they decided not to start him because of the rain delay. So Green Bay went into week two thinking we're going to get a week two snaps and week three snaps. That, I think, is far different than a team not planning to play their number one the entire way. So, no, I'm not changing my methods, but at least Green Bay has an excuse where he was going to get action for two games and didn't see action in either. So the other big news from the NFL today is Antonio Brown. The saga continues, or maybe it's just beginning because for all this, Antonio Brown's going to get cut. Antonio Brown's going to get suspended. Just before we went on air, John Gruden came out and said, we're hoping Antonio Brown plays on Monday night. Good move or bad move for the Raiders after uh, Brown was involved in a pretty nasty altercation with Mike Mayock on Wednesday uh, and then gave a tearful apology to his teammates. We know how good he is on the football field. Can Brown, one or number one is, if Brown gets away with doing something like that, does that kill the discipline of the team? And number two is, can Oakland get him productive on the field instead of unproductive off it? Well, the irony is, is Burflicht was the conflict divider, yeah. keeping those two <laughs> apart. But, uh, you know, we, we came on as you and I were coming on the show. The news break was Antonio Brown wasn't going to play. Well, the Las Vegas Review Journal in the last two minutes has made a statement Brown will play. I think him on the field is important for the Raiders, at least if he's a decoy, taking away some of the number one cornerback reps from their number two. Antonio Brown's status still to be determined. The betting market's moving towards Oakland in early betting action today. We'll be back here on Wager Talk Line Movers coming up next. Where's the money going and why? 
Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. All the news you need to know to make educated wagers all weekend long. We do it in an hour every day, noon Pacific time, three on the East Coast. Ralph, we call this segment Line Movers because we want to talk not just where the money's going. That's easy enough to, uh, to figure out. Why is the money moving where it's moving? Why are the books adjusting? Is this all wise, guys? Is this public? Are they fearing something? Is there injury news? We've got line moves all across the board to talk about. Let's start in college football for Saturday. And this is the very first game. This is an 8 o'clock Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern time kick. So don't sleep in if you want to get down on this one. Wise guy money for the Ohio University Bobcats. Nobody likes the Pitt Panthers right now. Yeah, I love that the ACC Network's having that 11-8 a game. It gives you something to watch while everything else is at halftime. Unfortunately, so few people can watch the ACC Network. I will think, you know, I do think it'll probably increase this handle by 50%. And I think that's why we're seeing some line moves, because people are betting on the game because it's the first game. And they're betting on the team they perceive as the better team. Last week's results, Ohio off a win, again, albeit Rhode Island. And, you know, Pittsburgh in a situation where they have Penn State on deck as well. I actually don't think the line move is correct. Pitt off their loss last week is in a, basically a must win to not start 0-2 with Penn State on deck. And Ohio, yes, Rourke is a quarterback and a lot of people picked him to win the MAC. But for returning starters, I think Pitt can keep, uh, I think Pitt can keep this game in control and pull it out. Make no mistake about it, though, if you like the pit side of this ballgame, you are going against the quote-unquote sharp money. Sharp money has come in on Maryland as well. We've seen a change of favorites in this ballgame. The Orange Syracuse opened two and a half, three on the road in College Park. Now, Maryland's the chalk and Syracuse is the dog, although we have seen a little bit of buyback on Syracuse. So this game had a huge move towards the Terps and now a little bit of buyback on the orange Syracuse and Maryland. Why so much Maryland money? We often see teams that blow out an FCS team week one come into week two overrated. I mean, people get excited about a 79 nothing win. Well, there are 270 teams in Division One football. Howard's about 260. So Terps fans, don't, don't get too excited. This is a team that only returned 10 starters. I, I completely think this is just a reaction to Maryland's 70-0 win. 79-0 win, excuse me. Sure. My, my take on it was there was a little bit of disrespect for Syracuse uh, against Liberty. We saw Syracuse money come last week, and the Orange won and covered. They did it in a way that not many people expected because Syracuse did not move the fall up and down the field in that game. They pitched a shutout on defense, which nobody expected. But offensively, Tommy DeVito 
wasn't as good as Dungy, to put it mildly. And he wasn't as good as Dungy in the backup role last year when he got his chance to play. So I think the markets are saying Syracuse doesn't have a quarterback, and that might be a problem, being that their offense is certainly QB-based. Big move on the Bearcats over the last 24 hours. Ohio State was a firm minus 17, and now they're like minus 15 and a half, minus 16, and 17 is a key number. Takes a little bit extra to get it off that 17. Market respect for Cincinnati, which we saw none of last week when the money poured in on UCLA, Ralph. This week they liked the Bearcats. Last week they hated them. I don't think the Bearcats get their due diligence for being an elite defense. You know, yes, they're playing an American conference, not a power five conference. But when you hold foes to under 50 percent completions, when you hold foes to under 3.3 yards per carry and then week one against UCLA, you hold them to a total of 218 yards and 12 first downs. This is a legitimate Bearcats defense and the Ohio State backers we saw after jumping out to that 28 nothing. Well, that was thanks to Florida Atlantic playing that 3-5-0 defense. I mean, wide receivers were running wide open the first couple times. I think Ohio State, you know, their their offense is not as good as those first four drives, and they're facing again a very tough defense with Luke Fickle returning home after being an assistant at Ohio State for 15 years. Not just an assistant, he ran their defense for the better part of a decade and was pretty darn good at that job in Columbus. That's how he got the Cincinnati job. One would think he's got an idea, at least, perhaps, of how to defend Ohio State, but certainly won't be easy. The other question we have to ask is, how much of Cincinnati's defensive success last week was just UCLA pulling out the shotgun and shooting their feet off? Uh, uh, McLeod Thompson had, what, a couple of unforced fumbles that had a huge impact in that ball game since his defense was very good but some a good portion of UCLA's offensive failures were UCLA screwing up not Cincinnati shutting them down two-way action in North Carolina the early money came for the Tar Heels the late money has come for the Hurricanes now North Carolina has seen some impacts from the hurricane that is slowly moving its way up the East Coast, but they didn't get a direct hit or anything like that. Nonetheless, the money poured in on the Tar Heels. Now it's sneaking back towards Miami. Two-way action between uh, these two ACC foes. Yeah, we saw it go six to four, back to five plus now. Uh, You're looking at an interesting situation. I mean, both teams looked good in covering. I was impressed with what North Carolina did against South Carolina. You have two young quarterbacks playing here. And remember... This is an ACC game. The coaches are going to be a little tighter and close to the vest. You may not see them gambling. You fall behind in a conference game early. It's something you don't want to do when you're playing your conference opener. I lean with the home dog, and I like the under in the situation. Uh, Both teams running the ball, being conservative. North Carolina was able to rally from a double-digit deficit last week to get the win against South Carolina. Some of that was the Gamecocks shooting themselves in the foot uh, every bit as much as UCLA did in that ball game. Uh, of course, you're talking about coaches keeping it close to the vest. We'll see if Mac Brown doesn't take a knee from his own 45-yard line this week when he has a chance <laughs> to win the game. Let's switch our focus to the, NFL, to the NFL for the next few line movers. Take a look at the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Bills were plus three all summer. 
But sharp money's come in on the bills. Two and a half now in many locations where it takes a whole lot of money to move a game off of three. Here in Vegas, here uh, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, offshore, three is the key number. And when you see a line move off of three, you know that was a significant amount of money coming in on Buffalo plus the three against the Jets. Well, we talked about this game earlier in the week. You know I'm on Buffalo. You know I'm not surprised with this move. I took the Bills plus the three. I had them as the better team at the end of last year. I have them as the better team this year. They have a more stable coaching situation to me. Uh, and again, you're, you're looking now division dogs, division away dogs week one. Another win last night, now 12-2 and two since 2014 against the spread. It's worth noting that for the month of December, Sam Darnold, the Jets' rookie quarterback last year, sophomore quarterback this year, had the best, the highest QBR in the NFL for the month of December. He showed signs last year more than Josh Allen did, but the betting market's not respecting those signs. They're respecting a Buffalo Bills defense that looked very, very good in the month of August. We're seeing a little bit of Tampa Bay Bucks support and lots of under money coming across the league. Not in this ballgame. Betters expecting a shootout between the Bucks and the Niners, total 51, and Tampa now favorites. There's no market trust or support for San Fran here in week one. Both teams are play on for me. I'm excited to watch this game. Obviously, Bruce Arians has uh, reinvented some respect for the Bucks. We, we talked about what he does. He's going to be a pass offense. We know that. We know Jameis is going to put up some incredible numbers. I'm going to watch and learn. Again, I have both teams as play on teams for this season. Yeah, I'm with you. Worth noting that the 49ers with Jimmy G at QB, 6-2 and two straight up and against the spread the last two seasons in limited action. One quick one, Panthers getting support. The markets don't trust L.A. Carolina now down to about a one, one and a half point dog against the Rams. Real quick. Eh, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it when we come back. Big game breakdown right here on Wager Talk. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. One million dollars in a fan duel or DraftKings tournament this Sunday, setting their lineups using the dailyroto.com DFS lineup optimizer. Or join the countless number of people who have $1,000 playing DFS using dailyroto.com. If you are playing daily fantasy sports and not using dailyroto.com, you're doing it wrong. Sign up now for the NFL annual pass with a faster optimizer. Smarter DFS projections and better results. Enter promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. DailyRoto.com, where millionaires are made. It's big game breakdown time, Ralph. And we're going to start here with the NFL. We've broken it in two segments, do NFL in the first segment and college football in the second segment, because this is the first weekend that we've got real games in both of them. And that means 
Ralph, you and I are going to spend, what, about 25 hours in front of our television sets over the course uh, of the coming two days. And this will be one of the games that we're watching. The Detroit Lions, minus two and a half, 46 and a half against the Arizona Cardinals. And I'll tell you what, nobody seems to know. I've talked to a bunch of people this week. Nobody seems to know what Arizona is going to bring to the table. They say they didn't show anything on film in the preseason. Their offensive line and their defensive line got blown off the line of scrimmage in the preseason. They showed none of their playbook. They're going with a rookie quarterback and a rookie NFL head coach. All of these things tend to be bet against factors, but number one, the Lions have no film on anything Arizona wants to do, none whatsoever. And number two, <laughs> the Lions aren't exactly the type of team that people are very comfortable laying points with on the road. Detroit, Arizona, still holding a two and a half total, 46 and a half. What's your take, Ralph? Well, let's remember this Arizona team is a team that I bet under on their win total. Uh, yes, they may surprise us early in a game or two, but this team was historically bad last year, getting out gained by almost 120 yards per game. Uh, yeah, I'm with everyone else. I am not playing this game. Uh, can Kingsbury pull something out and surprise us week one? Absolutely. But remember, Kingsbury had a losing record in conference play in college football. You go from a quarterback who had a losing record in conference play, you were going to be an OC at USC, and all of a sudden you're the head coach at Arizona for the Cardinals. So to me, it's exactly that. I am not backing Detroit on the road. Arizona may surprise me. I'll be watching with bated breath like everyone else this Sunday. Sure. I'm slightly tempted by the over in this ball. I, mean, I trust Arizona's offense. I'd be on the over in a New York minute. Patrick Peterson being suspended matters for Arizona's defense. That team doesn't have much of a pass rush. And I do think that Matthew Stafford will have time and the ability to throw the football around in this ball game. But you look at the guys on the injury report for Detroit, you know, Jared Davis has a bad ankle. Deshaun Hand has a bad elbow. Rashawn Melvin has a knee. You know, that's their best pass rusher. They're one of their better linebacker, one of their better cornerbacks. It's certainly an issue for Detroit. And it's not just Peterson out for Arizona. It's both starting cornerbacks. So one can anticipate, perhaps, if Arizona plays with the pace we think they're going to, if I had to make, if I, again, I don't have to make a bet on this game, but if I had a free bet to make, I'd probably look at the over. For this one, I don't trust either defense to get stops on Sunday. Continuing in West Coast action, the Seabags, Seattle. Well, I guess they're the Seahawks. I like calling them the Seabags. I don't know why. Seabags, 9.5-44 against the Bengals. Speaking of injuries, Cincinnati starting left tackle, Gordy Glenn, still dealing with concussion-like symptoms. And yet, just in the last 15 minutes or so, We've seen a little bit of an uptick on the over. The 44 is getting back to 44 and a half. So maybe there's been some very recent announcement on Glenn's ability to play. That is a significant concern for me for Cincinnati. Cordy Glenn at left tackle because, geez, Louise, who do the, who do the Seahawks have? Well, Jadavion Clowney and Ezekiel Ansa, who are two guys who can absolutely get after an opposing QB when they're facing weak tackles on the outside. 
you know, clearly Seattle, the better team, but I am not one that's going to lay over a touchdown week. Number one, you know, these offenses still take time to get in sync uh, with all these new coaches, OCs and DCs. I mean, this is one of the most unusual off seasons in the NFL. Uh, Zach Taylor, obviously replacing a 16 year vet. And again, he's going to bring new wrinkles to this Bengals. The Bengals just a couple years ago were a team that held in games. I mean, you're a 500 team over a period of time. Uh, they still have talent on the field. I, I, It's a situation, again, where I'm not going to play either side on this, but I am not playing a nine-point home favorite in the NFL week number one. Yeah, and let's not forget, you know, we think about Cincinnati in the offseason. Boy, they were bottom feeders. My power ratings have them really low. They have them, you know, uh, uh, the only three teams below the Cincinnati and my power ratings coming into the season. At the halfway point last year, this team was 5-3. and three. Andy Dalton was averaging more than two touchdown passes a game. Joe Mixon had been running uh, for just under five yards a carry. They were a decent team. And then the injury struck over the second half and everything went south in a hurry for Cincinnati. But... You know, again, I've got them power rated 29th coming into the season. That may be a little bit low. They could be better. And Russell Wilson, when it comes to big play weapons, does he have any? And if he does, who are they? We'll have to find out for Seattle, a team that doesn't that I love Russell Wilson. The talent surrounding him, eh, not so much. Chargers and the Colts. Indy, six and a half point dogs. They've been that way all week for the Colts. A couple of times we've seen some move coming in on Indy, and then it just seems to come back the other way. Not a big move. Colts, really healthy coming out of training camp, the exception of Andrew Luck, obviously. Uh, Not so for L.A. L.A. has Keenan Allen, who's a question mark. Russell Okung, who's out. Derrick James, who's out. Mel Gordon's out, although the duo of Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson one, a seventh rounder, one, an undrafted free agent. I think they'll be fine running the football. The question is, can they protect their quarterback? And how much does the Derwin James injury affect them on the defense side of the football against Jacoby Brissett and the Colts? You know, we, we talked that Gordon's not the piece like Ezekiel it is, but he's still a loss. And then James is the quarterback on the defensive side. Add in that the Chargers have the 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 least home field edge out of anyone playing in their soccer stadium. Uh, you add in that the Colts were a playoff team last year, and yes, luck is gone, but Jacoby Brissett is a quarterback that you know feels confident he can move it. Uh, again, I, I lean with the dog, and week one, I'm very apt to take those dogs, even though they look ugly, those dogs of six or more, I'm going to be one to jump on them. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you said about L.A. and them being potentially a false favorite. I've seen Jacoby Brissett enough to be very reluctant to back him week one. He wasn't good this preseason. He really wasn't, and the Colts were trying. And when you look at the history, it's like former Patriots assistants who are trying to be great head coaches without Belichick. None of them have done it. (laughs) It's a similar story with former New England backups for Tom Brady. Garoppolo may be the exception, but even he hasn't proved it yet. But former backups for Brady have had no success anywhere. And you can go guys who are even really highly touted prospects, the Drew Hensons uh, of the world. The TV game on Sunday afternoon is the Dallas Cowboys. We finally seen the line move to seven and a half. Seven and a half, 45 and a half against the Giants. And of course, 
Zeke Elliott back in the fold for Dallas. Zach Martin, however, has been limited, and Amari Cooper injured his heel the first week of August. He should be full go this week, but we didn't get any preseason action at all. For the Giants, they're relatively healthy. Right tackle Mike Remmers, the only starter in jeopardy for Sunday against Dallas. You know, uh, I, I did a video at Wager Talk on this game during the week, and when I was looking up stats, one number that really caught me by surprise, Eli Manning at home last year, 62%. A 7-7 ratio and an 8.8 sack percent. Eli Manning, when he's away from his New York fans, perhaps playing a little more carefree, 71%, a 14-4 ratio and a 7.4 sack percent. Add in those week one division dogs, add in a running back that can slow down the game. It's a situation where Dallas is the better team. I actually have Dallas power rated at this number, but I'm not going to back the Cowboys. Earlier reports out of Dallas, uh, Zeke Elliott, 20 to 25 plays on the field. Yeah, best unit on the field in this game could well be the Dallas Cowboys defense. I personally lean under in that one. I, I lean under in the next one as well. Patriots, minus five and a half and 49 against the Steelers. Now it's Demarius Thomas, who's limited uh, with a hamstring injury. You know, the top tight end, remember, there's no Gronk anymore. Matt Lacoste, he's not fully practicing. Josh Gordon isn't in full playing shape uh, just yet. What kind of weapons does New England have? I think the Patriots are running defense this year, just like what we saw in the Super Bowl. They can't have Brady throwing it 30 times a game. Patriots, 5.5-49 against the Steelers. We've got just about a minute, Ralph. Well, pay, atten- pay attention to this Patriots defense. Belichick now calling plays again for the first time in three years. You saw him blitz against Detroit in the preseason. I think this is going to be a very blitz-heavy team. I agree with you on the under. Let's remember, though, New England at home, 40-16-1 against the spread uh, the last six years. An incredible number. But the, the Pittsburgh Steelers might pick to win the AFC North, a team now that you take away the distractions of A.B. and Le'Veon Bell. I think they're going to be much better than last year. Yeah, the Steelers are a squad that absolutely has bet on potential for me. I'm with you on them being undervalued. But that Patriots track record, when they're the most public team in the NFL and covering more than two out of three, I will not step in front of that. I've learned my lesson. When we come back, we'll talk college football right here on Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. on the SportsGrid TV network. Follow them at SportsGrid on Twitter. Be sure to download the SportsGrid app. You can watch this and many other quality shows on demand. Of course, you can follow Ralph on Twitter at CalSportsLV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. And you can follow all the games we're about to talk about 
on national TV this weekend. Let's start with the two for tonight. College football, we've gone through a number of these games throughout the course of the week, Ralph, but it's Friday, it's time for opinions, it's time for quick hitters. Let's get into it. Wake Forest, now 19.5 point favorites, total of 58 at Rice. What do we do with Rice off of last week's less bad than expected loss to Army? That game was 14 to 7, and Rice was more than a three touchdown underdog. They're more than they're close to three touchdown underdogs here against a Demon Deacon offense that ran 105 plays on offense last week. Wake Rice, what do you see? 19 and a half, 58. I like Rice. Coach Mike Bloomberg for Rice brought in seven grad ta- seven grad transfers to boost his roster. You look at Wake Forest, you're in a role that you haven't been in since 1997, this big of an away favorite. Dave Clawson's been the coach. This is his sixth year at Wake Forest. They've been an away favorite three times. Those three games, 0-3 against the spread. Crazy number with their week one performance. I like the home dog here. And when you see a number like this, Wake Forest laying 19 and a half on the road. It tells you so clearly what the markets think of Rice. This, this number is all about Rice. Nobody trusts Rice one iota. And they say, well, they hung around last week. That was Army. Army had no explosiveness. It's not like the Demon Deacons are loaded with playmakers on both the sides of the football field. Boise State, the other TV game tonight, minus 12, total of 57 against the Marshall Thundering Herd. I like the over. In this one, Ralph, I look at Boise and the balance they showed on offense, another team that ran over 100 plays uh, last week. It's not about quick strikes necessarily for Boise, but the run-pass balance is there. We like the Frosh QB a whole lot. Marshall's defense not built to stop good balanced offenses, but they can chuck the football around with anyone. So I like Boise Marshall over. What's your take on the Broncos and the Thundering Herd? Teddy, how about if I just say ditto to everything you said? The only way this game doesn't go over in my mind is if Marshall gets an early lead and can bring down the tempo and Boise struggles to score that first touchdown. If Boise gets ahead, Marshall has to keep case. I agree with the over. Good. Ohio State, Cincinnati. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the show with the line mover segment. Let's break it down a little bit more here. Buckeyes minus 16. There are even some 15 and a halfs out there now. 53 and a half against Cincinnati. Maybe the under here is the way to look as opposed to the side. We know what the Bearcats defense is capable of doing. And while Ohio State's defense got gashed a little bit after they took off that uh, the, the big lead, took off to that big lead last week. Uh, you know, they were up 28 nothing after one. It's easy for the defense to give up a little bit uh, and <sighs> exhale for a moment. But Buckeyes, minus 16, 53 and a half against Cincy. Is this going to be a low-scoring game and or is this going to be a blowout? What's your take, Ralph Michaels? Uh, again, I agree with you, Teddy, with a low-scoring game. And I am not concerned about the Buckeyes' defense. They gave up 228 yards. I look at the rush numbers. They gave up 22 yards, under one yard per carry. Up 28 nothing. you start to play a little back on defense. You little play a little prevent. You're not playing with that same intensity. So I'm not concerned about F- FAU scoring what they did in the second half. Uh, I think it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. And I think we're finally going to see... Justin Fields have to make some plays with his feet. Uh, He rushed 12 times for 61 yards last week. Uh, If he does that again, the Buckeyes win and cover. Uh, But I think Bearcats give him a run. I like the dog and the under. 
Yeah, I wouldn't talk you out of either one of those wagers. I do expect something of a defensive scrum at the Horseshoe in Columbus. I do not expect a defensive scrum in the next game. Nebraska and Colorado. The Cornhuskers. Four and a half, 64 and a half. They're in revenge. Revenge for a game that, I don't know, that uh, Colorado stole last year. Uh, but Nebraska had a chance to win it at the end, and the Buffs made the key defensive play to seal the victory. They were pretty much covering wire for an extended stretch in that ballgame. Total 64 and a half in this one. And when you look at the senior quarterback in Montez on the one side and the playmaking quarterback in Martinez at the other side, and you look at some of the defensive weaknesses on these two teams, even without the game being expected to be played at a torrid pace, there's going to be one of those games with 150 plays or 160 plays. But these two offenses look pretty good on paper. I like this one over the total. What about you, Ralph? Yeah, looking at this box score, sometimes the amount of plays you run are very misleading. Colorado only ran 60 plays last week. Well, that's because they were plus four turnovers and they had easy scores after Colorado State turned the ball over. Colorado State on the flip side ran 88 plays. So you have that disparity sometimes early by looking at the plays. I like Nebraska in this one. I think the offense is going to get better. Scott Frost, after the game, just scratched his head and said, I don't know what happened. And I love when a coach is just honest. Listen, we practiced better in the preseason. We just laid an egg. This is a Colorado team that gave up 505 yards to Colorado State, one of the weakest teams in the Mountain West. I like the Cornhuskers on this to, to win in Colorado. Yeah, And Nebraska was a team that certainly got a fair bit of love from the betting markets in the offseason. People were betting Nebraska over the win total. We were betting Nebraska on the games of the year uh, at various sports books here uh, in Las Vegas. And they were a popular choice to come out of the western half of the Big Ten as well. So uh, Nebraska in the non-conference game at Colorado with revenge. Ralph, you and I have been arguing about this game all week. Let's argue about it one final time. And then we can make fun of the loser on Monday. Clemson and Texas A&M. And Clemson now down to minus 17, total is 63, and the numbers I'm looking at show that Texas A&M is one of the most popular public underdogs on the entire college football card this week. You don't see a lot of popular dogs in college football. Texas A&M is one of them. I think it's a big difference. I think the line moved down to 17. If it's down to 16 and a half, where A&M might have made my card at won't be on my card with this type of line move. You know, I, I have faith that Kellamond is going to be able to go in and play uh, fairly mistake-free. Again, he passed for 400 yards last year, had a 3-0 ratio. Uh, I expect this to be a lower-scoring game. I think they're not going to put Mond in a situation to make mistakes. I think A&M will try to control the pace with the run game. You know Clemson loves running the ball with the, with, with the running back they have. So uh, I actually, I still lean with a and I'm coming back them off a little bit with the line moves. And I also lean with the under. Yeah, I can only take Clemson in this ballgame. And look, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to get rich. You cannot make money betting on the worst teams in college football. You can't do it. You might find a spot where there's one bad team that they're supposed to lose by 50 and they only lose by 40. But... Every year, you look at the end of the season, the worst teams in college football, 4-8, and 5-7 and seven ATS, they don't have winning point spread records. 
That's not the case necessarily for the best teams. When you look at the Clemsons and the Alabamas, and we know how good they are. And yet at the end of the season, year in, year out, Alabama's got a winning point spread record. Dabo's been a point spread monster for the Clemson. When we look at what happened last year, again, competitive game, well, not for three quarters. In the fourth quarter, things got dicey on the road with a Frost QB making his first road start and first start against a Power 5 foe. Back at home, I think Clemson's going to roll this team. And Mond, the M in Mond is for mistake. Yes, I do expect a Clemson defensive score, at least one, in this ballgame. Tennessee's taking money, minus four, 52 and a half against BYU. Nobody trusts the Cougs, but the markets, they're trusting the Vols right now. What are you hearing about Tennessee's ability to show up and actually beat somebody this week against BYU? Well, we talked about the system earlier in the week. Uh, since 2000, teams that lost as a home favorite of a as a as a home favorite of seven or more, and then are at home the next week as a dog or a favorite of up to ten, are only five and sixteen against the spread. Tennessee's in that role. BYU has such a brutal schedule. Again, I think this is a must win for them. I, I don't know what to make of Tennessee. If you lose because you turn the ball over, that's one thing. If you lose because a team that was two and ten last year from the Sun Belt smacked you in the mouth and and was 9 of 13 on third down conversions, that's another. Uh, If Tennessee loses this game, I think we see a coaching change. If BYU loses this game, I think uh, in the next two or three weeks we'll see a coaching change from them. No, Tennessee's not firing their coach, and and it doesn't matter. They, They have too much money committed already to previous coaches and this coach that they can't fire. He's almost immune with the exception of a player revolt or something like that uh, from losing uh, his job. So, uh, look, Sataki's in trouble whether they win this game or not. Uh, But Tennessee with a chance on national TV. This is the ESPN game. It's not like they've heard all week about how bad they are and how much they stink. And I still remember when Michigan lost to App State and what happened the following week. They came out a little bit sluggish and ended up rolling in the end. Tennessee with a chance for redemption, with a TV chance for redemption against a team that struggles to step up in class. I'd lean in that direction. However, worth noting, BYU has been a consistent, consistent money winner on the highway under Sataki. That's been their role. When they're catching points on the road, you've made money with BYU in every recent season. LSU minus six and a half, 57 at Texas. Nothing but Tigers money. The wise guys do not respect this Tom Herman underdog streak that's been profitable for the better part of the last decade. Well, it opened up at three, three and a half, jumped to five, five and a half when we found out Texas lost yet another running back this season. You know, they're down to one healthy running back plus other people moving in from other positions. I am still this LSU fan. I think they have a top 10 defense. I think they have an offense that's going to be among the country's best. This is a Texas team that only returns nine starters and got outgained last year. Uh, And as I gave out earlier in the week, the total was 55. It's now 57. I still think there's value with the total. We saw Texas last year with Ellinger be able to keep pace with those big with those big 12 teams. Uh, Still lean LSU despite the line change. The value's gone. But I do like the over. USC and Stanford, the Trojans minus three and 43 and a game with no quarterbacks. Look, 
The Trojans lost their starter, JT Staniels. He's out for the season. The guy who was supposed to be his backup has entered the transfer protocol. He didn't want to win the job. The guy who was supposed to be the third-string quarterback is also hurt. Oops. <laughs> Freshman, Keaton Slovis, who did not inspire any confidence last week against Fresno, now has to face a Stanford defense that, I mean, what do we say what they did in Northwestern last week? They, the Stanford defense was by far the best unit on the field. They dominated that ball game. That being said, Stanford doesn't have a quarterback. <laughs> K.J. Costello was hurt. Oh, by the way, their first team all Pac-12 left tackle, Walker Little, he's out as well. That matters. Minute or less, Ralph, what do you got? USC and Stanford, minus three and 43. I think the most important thing is that first statement you made. This isn't a number two quarterback coming in for a number one quarterback. This is a quarterback that was number four on the depth charts in August. When you have JT Daniels and Sears in a battle, those players are getting 80% of the reps. Your number three may be getting a few reps and the number four is watching the clipboard. This player was the number four quarterback. Now he's starting a conference game against one of the best defenses. Stanford, the way to go. Yeah, exactly. The winner of that game will be in first place in the Pac-12 until conference season really begins. Well, they'll be tied with first place with the Cal Washington winner uh, as well. When we come back, the TKO right here on Wager Talk. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Home stretch. Talk. And it's time to call to talk responsible gaming slash betting 101. And that means week one pitfalls, Ralph. We had a great article yesterday that we talked about uh, from David Purdom on ESPN.com talking about how in September, the sports books here in Nevada have never had a losing September and that they made more in September than they have in October and November combined. They've had 11 losing Octobers and Novembers, uh, you know, but never. A losing September. What does that tell us? That tells us that betters, and the quotes were, betters are all bankrolled and they're making bad bets. <laughs> what can we, what advice can we give our viewers and listeners for protecting their bankroll in week one? And my number one piece of advice is not bet smaller sizes, bet fewer games. What we think we know going into week one is not what we know we're going to know a week or two from now. So from my perspective, at this time of the season, I tread fairly lightly. There's a handful of wagers, but this is not a week where I'm peppering the board with lines that have been bet into shape pretty well over the last couple of months. What's your take, Ralph? Teddy, I agree with you. And the and the number one rule I could tell people is you have your bankroll, you set that bankroll, be it $1,000, be it $10,000. If it's at $10,000, you're making each bet at 1%, so 300 a game or 400 a game, then after week one, adjust your bankroll. If you're down to 9,000, then each bet is 1% of that bankroll or $90. If you win and your bankroll is 12,000, each bet is then 1% or $120. 
Bet more when you're winning. Bet less when you're losing. Teddy, take us home for the weekend. Tell us your biggest improvers in the NFL from last week, last year, week 17 to week one and your biggest fallers. So from a power rating standpoint, my biggest risers from the end of last season to the beginning of this season, the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers. My biggest fallers power rating wise, the Miami Dolphins and the Indianapolis Colts. So from where they were week 17 to where they are week one, those are the four teams with the biggest jumps in my power rating. I want to thank all of you out there in viewer land and listener land for watching us and listening to us this week. It's been a great week. Hopefully we brought you good info from beginning to end. We'll do it again next week right here on Wager Talk from a sports brand color.